0: Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911.
1: Jesus 911, 2 Mankar. It's Tuesday in Holy Week. Good morning, Jesse.
2: The week that changed the world. Good morning, Ruben. Um, yeah, this 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 is the week, Ruben, where uh, the, our Lord Jesus Christ and Our Lady undid the 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 knot of disobedience that we were tied into by Adam and Eve, our first parents.
1: Amen. Yeah, that's correct, Jesse. So um, we've we've got a, a good show today, Jesse. We're we're going to be talking about um, oh, the first story is it's it's a pretty cool one. Being a, a football fan. Um, the new Notre Dame coach, you know, he's bringing back Dame game masses. Wow! <laughs> it's a, and you know, I'm I'm trying to find out the coach is um, Marcus Freeman, and uh, I know he played ball at uh, Ohio State in his uh, playing. He was a linebacker in his playing days, but don't know if he's Catholic. Um, and uh, yet, he's going he, to be coaching. He's it. certainly
2: Catholic friendly.
1: Yeah, he's going to a Catholic university, uh, which. By the way, uh, Notre Dame has—it's uh, very lukewarm in their in their faith. Uh, let's just be honest. Um, yes. So,
2: as most Catholic universities are, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. But yeah.
1: We've had—I've uh, had friends who send their kids there, and uh, they don't come out any more on fire than they went in. And in fact, some of them have lost their faith. So, that's a sad state of affairs. And but that's that's across the country. So I'm not trying to cast dispersions on on Notre right. Dame. Right.
2: Exactly. And Ruben, that, I think that's just a, that's just as a result of our secular culture that's become so secularized, especially with starting within the, the the early '60s. You could look at a series of Supreme Court decisions that have just attacked Christianity, people of faith, and and uh, well, this is the end result you get. You just get secular humanism and atheism, militant atheism, and uh, lukewarmness.
1: Well, th- this is the same school that uh, gave, uh, I believe it was a. Um... Obama, President Obama, um, an honorary degree, had him speak there, and he was—he was, he was just—it was packed. The place was just; they were screaming for him, and 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 then uh, Vice President shame, Pence comes shame. in, and he—he's talking. He goes in to do a speech, and they boo him, and uh, people get up and leave, and and uh, you know, Michael Pence is a it was a uh, is a pro lifer, and they probably because he was attached to to uh, President Trump, he. They uh, they had a lot of disdain for him there, and, Which,
2: and he's also a practicing evangelical Christian. I right? know, you know, yeah, yeah. That
1: was just dis- disappointing.
2: Sure was. Well, Ruben, let's talk about this new Notre Dame football coach brings game uh, game day mass. This is the good news. It says, uh, it says here. Oh, uh, yeah. It says, at first glance, or it's, it's all about priorities, as the great Vince Lombardi taught: God, family, sports. At first glance, faith and professional sports would appear to contradict each other. Football in particular is a sport that some view to be at odds with the Catholic faith on account of its violent nature. Yet Catholics have been a central part of the success of football from the very beginning. Some of the most influential coaches in the history of NFL were practicing Catholics. Football, of course, is not inherently evil. Playing professional football is morally neutral territory. What the football player or coach needs to remain focused on is a sense of priorities. As legendary coach uh, Vince Lombardi once said, think of only... uh, Oh, Ruben, I'm reading the wrong article here. Yeah,
1: it's okay. uh, It was good. Keep going. Yeah,
2: (laughs) yeah. I got got this article. It says, four Catholic coaches who led their teams to greatness. Okay. It says... uh, Yeah, let me just... It says... um, Football, of course, as uh, uh, Vince Lombardi. It says, many Catholic coaches have tried to live up to that motto, and some of them have ended up become, becoming some of the most successful coaches of all time. So here are four legendary coaches who try to live up to their baptismal calling while leading their teams to legendary greatness. So it's got a section on Vince Lombardi, a section on George Hallis, uh, founder of the Chicago Bear, Bears, also yeah. w- considered one of the co-founders of the NFL. He won six NFL championships as head coach. Uh, then the next one it profiles is Don Shula, best known for co- his coaching career with the Miami Dolphins. He led two sup- he led the team to two Super Bowl victories, and the only perfect season in the history of the NFL. Yep. And the last one that it profiles is Chuck Knoll. Knoll was the force to be reckoned with in his day, coaching the Pittsburgh Steelers for 22 years. And leading this team to so to four Super Bowl wins, yeah, this is a pretty good article. I don't know, it just popped up uh, instead of the other one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Yeah.
1: well, you know, Vince Lombardi, he had a saying that said, uh, you know, you you strive for perfection and you'll hit excellence. And we can do that in our spiritual life. You take that same um, adage, and uh, you, you obviously nobody can be perfect. Only Jesus Christ and uh, and Our Lady are perfect. So. um you know, you sh- you shoot for perfection, and you're going to hit excellence. And um, and so he's he's legendary. Lombardi was uh he was he used to go to daily mass and go in there and serve mass at the uh, the, the traditional Latin mass, and and then go to go to practice. But in this case, this is uh, a Notre Dame football, a new coach. This guy is replacing Brian Kelly. He was the head coach from 2009 to, t- to 2021. And he moved on over to LSU, University of Louisiana State University. So um, he's he's leaving South Bend, but the new coach coming in, Marcus Freeman, said that the mass before home games was a tradition that made an impression on him 20 years ago when he visited the campus as a prop- prospective student. When he returned last year to interview for the head coach position, he was surprised that it had been discontinued. So uh, he said uh, that in one of his tweets that he said um, the Irish will reintroduce game day mass. So it's 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 what I remember from my recruiting trip, watching the players walk out of the basilica on the way to the stadium. I was a little caught by surprise when we didn't do it last year. And uh, according to Minority Creative Minority Report, Freeman began inquiring about the tradition shortly after accepting the position. And when he was informed that the decision rested with the head coach, he immediately called for a return to the old way. Wow. He said, I, wow. I said, okay, let's change it, Freeman said, who starred as an Ohio State linebacker from 2004 to 2008. We're going to do that now, kind of like it used to be. Uh, Jess, you got that? It
2: says the, the return to Saturday Mass will also reinstate the original route of the walk, in which the team travels on foot from the Basilica of the Sacred Heart to the stadium. When the pregame Mass was held on Fridays, the walk still took place but on a route that went through the library. And you can watch a video of this if you access this article on vmpr.org or my website, jessieromero.com. After Mass, players will will now leave the Basilica through the God-Country-Notre Dame door, crossing through the campus. Freeman said that having the team walk through the door uh, together is one of his favorite Notre Dame traditions. He calls it a winning strategy. The reversion to tradition has been welcomed by many, but it's hard to say how it might affect the team. The Fighting Irish were never hurt by the Friday Night Masses, uh, as shown by Brian Kelly's record of 92-39. to 39. After all, it's hard to argue with a 70% win rating through a decade of coaching. Former Notre Dame players have weighed in on, on the change, while the return to Saturday Masses seems popular. One former player noted that it can be hard to turn on the game switch after spending an hour at Mass.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that was uh, a guy by the name of Robbie Toma. He said... Yeah, it was one of those. It's he's. It was one of the better moves, actually. He he's talking about when they went to Friday masses, is because of that reason. He said it's hard to turn turn to the game switch on after mass. Uh, but another guy, uh, Bruce Stray Strahan, he he tweeted that my my biggest complaint of the Kelly era was exactly this. As a very devout Catholic myself, the canceling of the pregame mass for the players before home games by Kelly was inf- infuriating. A chance to bring the players closer to God before a game is vital to their souls and the game. Now that's a guy who gets it, Jesse. You know, the, the game—it's just a game, but uh, I mean, it's an important game. But you know, nothing more important than your spiritual life and your relationship with Jesus Christ. And, Amen. How, how much uh, more effective are you going to be when you, you're re- receiving the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ before uh, the game, and um, you know, you're, you're, you've got Jesus' blood running through your through your uh, veins it's like having a transfusion, Jesse you know they they say that uh, our Lord remains in you for about fifteen minutes <laughs> yes, so you've got uh you know the blood of Jesus running through your your veins and the arteries and th- amen that's amazing
2: hey Ruben, this coach gets it uh, my hat's off to him I don't, I don't know if he's Catholic, but he definitely has Catholic sensibilities. Let me just mention one thing real quick before we go on to the next segment uh, tomorrow Wednesday. Uh, the movie Father Stew is going to be on the big screen, uh, starring Mark Wahlberg. This is the story of a Catholic priest. It says uh, the it says God wanted a fighter and he found one, Father Stew. So it uh, it's in movie theaters starting tomorrow across the country. Also wanted to mention that Father Chad Ripperger is having a retreat, June nineteenth to the twenty fourth. It's called Father's Son Retreat Proper Masculine Rules. Uh June twenty-sixth to July first. He's having a mother-daughter retreat. And then he's having a retreat for lay people called Reclamation Theology, basically reclaiming our theology, June 12th to June 17th. If you want more information on these three retreats that he's going to be hosting, go to uh LiberChristo.org, the website liberchristo.org. Uh and you can just uh email them and ask them for uh, the flyers for those three events with father Ripperger, father son daughter father son retreat mother daughter retreat and reclamation theology retreat in other words reclaiming our catholic theology so for information go to libercristo.org libercristo.org Ruben.
1: yes and that reminds me that um i believe uh the NPR is having their annual uh, mens conference on june that's what, right 18th is it the the saturday which uh yeah, I think it's the I think it's the 18th, Jess.
2: Yes, sir. Yeah,
1: June 18th. So um, Jesse will be there live, sh- sh- giving some talks. Uh, I'll be giving a talk, and and uh, it's gonna be good.
2: So good keep- stuff. Yep. Hey, Ruben. Up next, we're gonna talk about we're gonna go from the world to the to the spirit, spiritual. We'll be talking about the nine choirs of angels. Stick around.
0: Now, Back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888 526 2151.
1: We are back to Matt Carr, Jesse and Ruben on Soul Patrol. We're talking about the, the angels, the nine choirs of angels. And um,
2: this is interesting. It's fascinating, Ruben, because a lot of people, we, we know that there's another realm of existence called spirits or angels but uh it's really the catholic church that has done a deep dive on this topic
1: yeah it's not very well known you know uh, i i i think just remember uh, years back i you know i didn't even know when i was reading scripture when they're talking about dominions and the powers and dominations i, I was like i i didn't realize they were re- you know scripture was referring to them as the angels so
2: yeah uh, I t- yeah that there's different different categories so here it goes Heavenly hierarchy; few Catholics can name all nine angels, choirs of angels, let alone in order of hierarchy. So where does this come from? This is—I fa- I knew about this saint, but I didn't know what century it was. This article clarified it. This is a first-century source, an ancient source on angels called celestial hierarchy, is from Dionys- Saint Dionysius the Areopagite or Pseudo-Dionysius. Now, I did know that, but I didn't know what century he lived in. Some believe he was St. Paul's disciple mentioned in Acts chapter 17, verse 34. He, he's actually mentioned there by name Dionysius the Areopagite, who became a follower of Christ in Athens, Greece, once he heard St. Paul preach the gospel. Tradition tells us he's the first bishop of Athens, whose feast day is October 3rd. So this uh, this uh, saint who knew St. Paul is the one that gave us the, 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 the categories of angels.
1: Huh. That's interesting. That's my brother's birthday. I'm going to have to tell him about that. Ah, go ahead, Ruben. Okay. Seventh century father and doctor of the church, St. John Damascene cited Dionysius the Areopagite on the nine choirs of angels being divided into three groups or hierarchies. Pope St. Gregory the Great drew upon this source in the previous century as did subsequent doctors of the church like St. Bonaventure in the 13th century. And the 13th century angelic doctor, St. Thomas Aquinas, in his Summa Theologia, tapped his authoritative work when discussing the nine choirs forming three ranks. Um, Dionysius uh, places the highest hierarchy, the seraphim, as the first, the cherubim as the middle, the thrones as the last. In the middle hierarchy, he places the dominations as the first, the virtues in the middle, and the powers last. In the lowest hierarchy, the principles first, then the principalities first, then the archangels, and lastly the angels. So I would imagine that the last one would be like your guardian angel, right, Jess?
2: Yeah, correct.
1: Okay, go ahead, Jess.
2: So all nine choirs are in the Bible, as Saint Thomas says in his Summa. Uh, for the name seraphim is found in Isaiah chapter six, verse two. Those are I call those God's secret service. They they're around <laughs> the throne of God, sing, singing day and night. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And it says that uh, God is so holy that they cover them, their eyes with six... They have six wings, and with two wings, they cover their eyes. What's interesting is when Protestants say that uh, God doesn't like repetitious prayer, Damn. I said, really? Are you kidding me? Well, the angels in heaven are saying day and night without stopping, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. So it's, it, the, the key operative word, like Ruben, you just said, God doesn't like vain repetition. What does that mean? When it's not prayed... From your heart. So the the other cherubim. That's, oh by the way. And uh, the tradition is that uh, Lucifer was a seraphim. Now the name cherubim. Is found in Ezekiel chapter 10 verses 15 uh, through 20. Another angel. Thrones. They're mentioned in, uh, in uh, Colossians chapter uh, 1 through 16. Then you have dominations. Or sometimes called dominions. Virtues, powers and principalities. They're mentioned in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 2 verse then the name 21, yeah. uh, uh, verse 21 yep yeah. then the name archangels in the canonical epistle of saint jude and uh, the name angels is found in many places in scripture the highest rank composed of seraphim cherubim and thrones meditate upon the person wisdom and judgment of god the middle rank of uh, dominions powers and virtues govern the forces of nature and the universe as a whole And the lowest rank is comprised of principalities who guard nations and cities, uh, archangels who guard special people, and angels who are guardians and messengers to us all. By the way, uh, the the lower rank of angels, the the principalities who guard nations and cities, I've been told by many exorcists during sessions that the demon, because angels are assigned to cities, but also demons are assigned to cities, the demon of Los Angeles is called the demon of unreality. He's given his name in several sessions. He's called the demon of unreality. Now that makes sense to me, Ruben. When you look at Los Angeles, is the media capital of the world?
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: It, isn't that interesting?
1: It is. Um, it, it, so that's that's a city of LA, or um...
2: the city of LA. What? That demon assigned to that city is called the demon of unreality. It's, and and he's given his name in several sessions of exorcism. Nice. Nice. Oh, yeah. um,
1: yes. Uh, you know, um, if you go to that article that uh, we're referencing here, you can, you can click on uh, what St. Thomas says. It goes right to his uh, summa and he, there's different, uh, articles that he puts in in there until he's talking about the angels and, and article six, there's objections that t- to some of these, some people may have. It's, it's, it would seem that the grades of the orders are not properly assigned for the order of prelates is the highest, but the names of dominations, principalities, and powers of themselves are impry, imply, imply prelacy. Therefore, these orders ought to be supreme. That's, there's it's this whole series of objections. And, uh, you know, they, St. Thomas answers, and,
2: and yeah, he answers the objections.
1: Uh-huh. I like that.
2: And, yeah. Reuben, here's what he says about, St. Thomas says about what exactly is an angel. It's very true. Here's what he says. The word angel means messenger. This is St. Thomas Aquinas. He says, truly this reflects the office of the angels. In other words, their office is messenger and the relationship with humans. As such it should be realized that the word angel does not properly describe their nature. It only describes what they do in relationship to us. Angels are more properly referred to as spirits, for this is what they are, spirits. An angel is an incorporeal, no body, spirit of great power and intelligence. They are at the very pinnacle of the order of God's creation. Their spiritual nature is closest to the image of God, and thus they have power, great power and intellect, although not necessarily charity. It is important to realize that an angel is not a dead human. In other words, we do not become angels when we die and pass on to heaven. Angels are as different from humans as animals are from us. Humans are endowed with sentience, conscience, and a measure of intellect which divides us from the animals. In a similar manner... Angels are endowed with a power and intellect not proper to man. In a sense, man is a composite creation, body and soul, which blends the nature of the animal, corporeality, instinct and passions. And with the nature of angels, they have free will, intellect, conscience, sentience and rationality. Thus, angels are not humans, and we can never become an angel. Saint Thomas Aquinas. Right,
1: and you know, you hear people in society that they, they go, "Oh, I gotta," so they lose a loved one. They go, oh, I have a new angel in heaven. You know, they're uh, they've got their theology uh, a little mixed up, but so because we're never going to be angels. You know, we're you know we're
2: we'll different species. Experience. Yeah. Were, and
1: Saint yeah. Thomas, um, what he's he's explains he's examining the reason why Dionysius uh, says what he says. He says, uh, in, "He says, let us first examine the reason why, or, or for the ordering of Dionysius, he, in which we see that, as said above, um, you know, the the highest hierarchy contemplates the ideas of things in God Himself, the second in the universal causes, and the third in their application to particular effects. And because God is the end, not only of the angelic ministrations, but also of the whole creation, it belongs to the first hierarchy to consider the end." In the middle one belongs the universal disposition of what is to be done, and the last belongs the application of this, the disposition to the effect, which is the carrying out of the work. For it is clear that these three things exist in every kind of operation. So Dionysius, considering the properties of the orders as derived from their names, places in the first hierarchy, those orders, the names of which are taken from their relations to God, the seraphim, cherubim, and thrones, and then he places in the middle hierarchy those orders whose names denote a, a certain kind of common government or disposition, the dominations, virtues, and powers. And then he places in the third hierarchy the orders whose names denote the execution of the work, the principalities, angels, and, and archangels. So you, it's, it it almost looks like the organizational chart, right, uh, of the—like um, the sheriff's department. You, you know, you've got the, the head the guy at the top, the sheriff, and then you've got the highest-ranking guys in the top— and down at the bottom, you know, had the 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 generalists, the people that are actually doing the work. You know, the the, ones, <laughs> the line gr- person now, yeah. the grunts. Yeah, so that uh, that makes uh, makes a lot of sense.
2: Absolutely, Ruben, Also, uh, in order for for us as Catholics to understand uh, the relationship that we have with angels and the way demons operate in the life of the Catholic, Father Ripperger, one of the one of the phrases is he constantly uses in his lectures to teach us. He says, uh, angels come whenever they are called. Demons come whenever they're not resisted. In other words, angels are present to us because we've been given an angel at the moment of conception, according to the church fathers. At the moment of conception, we were all, even even the non-baptized, everybody has a guardian angel. But the guardian angel uh, is activated, so to speak, when, when you start praying because one of the jobs of an angel, according to St. Thomas Aquinas, is to carry your prayer to heaven. So our angels are present to us, but they go ten eight. They go on duty. They go, they, they, they're in service. When you start praying, they come to you, take the prayer that leaves your body like incense rising to heaven, and they carry it to heaven. Now, on the other hand, fallen angels called demons, they don't have to be called. Because they're always doing a full-court press. They're always attacking. Father Ripperger says they have to be resisted. Resisted. That's why the first pope says in 1 Peter 5, 9, Resist the devil firm in your faith. James 4, 6. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Uh, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So the demons have, have to actively be resisted by faith and prayer. And and by by an act of your will, because they're always doing a full court press using basketball, you know, idiomatic expression angels, on the other hand, they're gentlemen, they're waiting for you. As soon as you open your mouth and start praying, any prayer activates them and they come and do your bidding.
1: That's it. That's good. I remember at, at the conference, Father Ripperger was talking about these angels who when they were had not fallen, they were. There was a certain—I don't remember which uh, which one they were—but they were um, seen after the Blessed Mother, and so when they fell, they 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 want to attack her because they're they're used to being around her, you know, something like that. Jesse, did you yeah, I'll,
2: cle- I'll clean, it. Yeah, I'll clean. I'll, yeah, I know what you're saying. We'll we'll talk about it in the next segment. Jesus 2 man car. Ruben, Jess Romero. We're ten eight. We'll be right back.
0: now back to jesus 911 if this call is not an emergency dial 888-526-2151
1: we are back jesus 911 two man car we we just we're talking about the nine choirs of angels and uh, Jesse, you're going to finish up on that um yeah of uh, father was fa- talking
2: yeah father said, father ripperger teaches that all the angels were made to uh, be messengers and to honor the Queen Mother. They were they were made specifically to worship God and to honor the Lady, the High Lady, the Queen Mother. But the a third of the angels, because they've fallen, it's still built into their into their angelic matrix. They know what they were created for. So the presence of Our Lady, her prayers, knowledge of her causes them so much pain, even aversion, because because of the cognitive dissonance that they go through. Because they remember within their angelic matrix as they were made, they were made innately to, to honor the lady and serve her. And now they can't. Now that's forbidden to them. And so the knowledge of Mary, her prayers, and her presence... It causes them much pain and even anger. Wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I couldn't have said it any better. Per, than that. <laughs>
2: pretty pretty deep, huh? Pretty yeah. deep stuff.
1: Yep, that was good. Yeah. So Hey
2: Ruben, let me just mention one more thing on angels and we'll go to the next topic is that just uh just kind of a side note for Catholics, uh the the church tells us don't name your guardian angels because a lot of people will tell you they have a, they have a conversion at a Curcio retreat mm-hmm. axe retreat or something and you know they're they're open more to, to to the things of God so one of the things you'll see a neophyte somebody yeah. you know who just had a recent conversion said oh yeah Jesse you know I found out we have garden angels and that's awesome and guess what you know I started doing the garden angel prayer every day and hey I even gave my uh my garden angel a name <laughs> I, yeah. I mean and they do it. it it's it's piety ruben it's it's I know. Do,
1: I, yeah. I I picked that up somewhere years ago and and I was yeah. told hey, yeah, name your angel. So, it, you know, I was uh I was led astray as well years ago. So
2: Yeah, so there's a magisterial document uh and and the, and the, it's this is like the perennial magisterium of the church, not like just like something new, you know. It's like the constant teaching of the church. The reason uh, the church says for us not to name our garden angels is because it's because of just the nature, the, the, the order of creation. The higher or me, the lower cannot name the higher. For example, hmm. humans are of a higher nature than animals. So humans can name our dogs and our cats and our animals. The higher names the lower Our dogs and our cats and our birds can't give us a name or a new baby in the family because they're of a lower nature. So that's just basically natural law. The lower can never name the higher, give the higher a new name, a new title. The higher, you see right in the book of Genesis, when God creates everything out of nothing and he tells Adam, name the animals.
1: Oh, that makes sense. Yeah.
2: Yes. But but, but Adam... Is not higher than the angels, so you'll never find in Scripture or in tradition where God is tying a saint or a human person of goodwill. Okay, go ahead and name the angels. You can't do that because they're of a higher, uh, they are of a higher species than we are, and so once again, the lower can never give the higher a name based on natural law.
1: Jesse, uh, some people have said that uh, that Archangel Gabriel was the blessed uh, mother, like. He, he was her special angel is that uh have you, have you heard that or?
2: absolutely that is the tradition of the church yeah you know uh it, because every one of us has an angel every one of us you know we have humans have a guarding angel she's also a human of course she's god's masterpiece she's the greatest human creature right and so it stands to reason that her guardian angel is uh is is gabriel the archangel absolutely yeah Okay,
1: so let's uh, switch gears. No, let, let's get back to Earth. That's liberalism versus Putinism, <laughs> a false dilemma, and it's uh, written by James Bascom. Is this uh, from the uh, the traditions uh, faith or what's the name of the? Uh...
2: Uh, let me see where I, where I got it from. It was yeah. it was a it was a pretty good source, Ruben. They
1: put out good
2: stuff. T, uh, TFP. Yeah. TFP org. They they put up. They got some good researchers and they got some good PhDs that put out some really good stuff. Now, again, here's where I'm at on the whole Putin thing, Ruben. Vladimir Putin to me, I'm not canonizing him, Ruben, but there's some things that I like about him. Uh, and so to me, he remains an enigma. And, and so I guess the debate is with a lot of people like you know myself and yourself and just a lot of people, we're wondering, okay, is he a true believer or is he a deceptive opportunist? Time will tell. But I think this article makes uh, makes some good arguments on uh, I think both sides. Yeah.
1: Anyway, it goes on to say that uh since the Russian invasion of the Ukraine um in February, most of the focused attention has been on the military and humanitarian aspects of the conflict and the war is after all a geopolitical earthquake, the most fighting and refugee crisis on European soil since World War II. It's possible that the war in Ukraine will spread beyond its borders or escalate to the use of nuclear weapons, major conflict between the world's great powers is more likely than at any any time since the 1980s, if not earlier.
2: That's a scary uh, sentence that you just uh, mentioned. It's possible that it'll go beyond its borders to nuclear war. By the way, Ruben, the Bible says, St. Peter the First Pope, the earth will will end, it will be burned, it will be dissolved by fire. Again, nuclear weapons, we now have the potential... Uh, to fulfill biblical prophecy through nuclear power. Mm.
1: Yeah, and uh, even Our Lady at Fatima said that, that uh, nations will be annihilated. Annihilated. When I hear that word, I, I'm thinking just completely...
2: And it really hasn't happened yet. Think, think about it. It hasn't happened yet. And and, and furthermore, Our Lady of Akita, Japan, says in the, in the prophecies, approved prophecies, that there's going to be a point in time where fire will fall from heaven. We, yeah. What what does that mean? You know what I'm saying? I, I, everything that's happening right now, Ruben, is just could fulfill all these prophecies.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, we know from Scripture that God's not going to send a flood again. You
2: know? Nope. So. You got it. <laughs> so it says, But the most important and lasting aspect of the Russian invasion of Ukraine is not death and destruction it unleashed and marks a major turning point in history, a paradigm shift in the political and ideological framework of the world in the same league as September 11th. I think it's worse than September 11th. The collapse of the Soviet Union and the two world wars. All these disasters in their time destroyed the world's ideological, political, and even cultural frameworks replaced them with new ones. Yeah, the Great Reset. For one thing, the post-Cold War optimism of the past 30 years is well and indeed destroyed. As Dr. John Horvat put it, the end of history just ended, close quote. After the fall of the Iron Curtain in 1989, and the breakup of the Soviet Union in 1991, the Cold War division between communism and anti-communism gave way to the nearly universal belief of faith, really in democracy, free trade, peace, and global integration, as the final step of humanity's evolution. Institutions such as the United Nations and the European Union personified this belief. Thomas Friedman expressed his faith in the 1990s with his so-called golden arches theory which stated <laughs> that no two countries with mcdonald's franchises have ever gone to war with each other guess what both russia and ukraine have mcdonald's
1: mm. so uh ray Kroc's not gonna be getting any income from uh those those <laughs> mcdonald's over there <laughs> and uh, you know i think i i read where mcdonald's was going to close operations in russia for until this ends And there was like 800 McDonald's in in Russia. So
2: Hmm.
1: anyway, you know, Ray Kroc, he's been dead about 25 years. He still makes a million dollars a day. So he's not hurting. Um, (laughs) Internal. Okay. So in truth, in truth, in truth, this post-Cold War dispensation started to crumble almost as soon as it began. Political divisions between the U.S. and Europe have been increasing for years. September 11th and its aftermath were a major blow to this democratic faith and transatlantic unity european powers especially germany drastically cut their militaries to the point that they are practically defenseless american presidents of both political parties have steadily reduced the united states military presence to a shadow of what it was a generation ago can you say uh, uh, barack obama <laughs> in 2018 president french president emmanuel macron claimed that nato has was brain dead and prosed It replacing the alliance with a pan-European military that excludes the United States. Hmm. The Western alliance also suffered a significant blow with the collapse of Afghanistan in August of 2021. So Western weakness and political disunity were major factors in Putin's decision to attack Ukraine. He Hmm. He assumed that the West would yawn and make an accommodation with Russia, but just as it had done previously in Crimea in 2014 and Georgia in 2008, both Democratic uh, presidents, by the way. Hmm. Russia, Crimea, and Georgia, by the way, all have McDonald's franchises.
2: (laughs) Surprisingly, the opposite has occurred. Literally overnight, Putin's invasion has united the Western countries and reinvigorated NATO as the main defensive alliance for a free world. European powers are now racing to rebuild their militaries. On February 27th, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz announced $100 billion uh, in in new military spending, meeting the 2% GDP target for defense spending for the first time in decades. He says, our goal is to have one of the most capable, powerful armies in Europe in the course of this decade, said German-France minister Christian Lindner. Calls for more military spending are resounding in nearly every European capital. Almost every NATO member has sent weapons to Ukraine, including rifles, ammunition, anti-tank, and surface-to-air missiles.
1: Yeah, we, we sent, we sent uh, weapons to Afghanistan, too. Remember that, Jess?
2: <laughs> yes, we did. And now they're probably the most powerful military in the world, <laughs> at, least in, in the, at least in the Middle East. These two paragraphs are gold, Ruben. It says, this unity is not only political. Western leaders and Putin himself have made, made it all clear that the war in Ukraine is not only about Ukraine. It's about, here it is. It's about a fight between two political systems, two ideologies. This is my opinion, by the way. Yeah, this is, these, these next two paragraphs, I think it clears the air. And th- this is my position. Jesus 9112 two-man car. We're talking about uh, this. Uh, what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. What's behind it? What are the political ideologies? Stick around. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back.
0: now back to Jesus 911 if this call is not an emergency dial 888-526-2151
1: Jesus 911 if you stay ready you don't have to get ready you're talking about liberalism versus putinism it's a false di- dilemma and uh we're getting to the meat of the the article here Jesse you want you go ahead and Yes, where you were at. Th-
2: this was this was two paragraphs that jump out that really explain a lot. The unity is not only political. Western leaders and Putin himself have made it clear that the war in Ukraine is not only about Ukraine. It is a fight between two political systems, two ideologies. Mm-hmm. The paradigm of the end of history marked by liberalism, consensus and dialogue has given way to a new ideological struggle which will define the 21st century just as the Cold War defined the 20th. During the Cold War, an iron curtain divided Europe, ideologically and physically. Both sides could not have been more clearly defined. On one side was the communist world dominated by the Soviet Union, promoting world revolution, atheism, and slavery to a totalitarian socialist state. On the other side was the free world, led by the U.S., representing order, Christianity, freedom, and Western civilization, One alliance represented good and the other evil. Ruben, take it away.
1: But uh, in today's standoff between Russia and the West, political lines are also clear. The vast majority of the Western and non-Western countries have united in opposition to Russia. Mm. The Russian invasion was clearly immoral and has isolated Putin from the international community more than Joseph Stalin ever was. And a uh, few in the West support Putin's bloody offensive in Ukraine, even among his most ardent supporters. Uh, China, Putin's most important ally has remained neutral in the war. And the ideological division, however, is not so clear cut while polls show majority support in the West for Ukraine. Many on the right and left have taken Russia's side, both Russia's and Ukraine supporters. However, agree on one thing. The, the war in Ukraine is a proxy war in a broader fight between two irreconcilable ideologies.
2: Bingo. That's the whole essence of what's happening right now. That last sentence. That's right. So on one
1: side is the cause of liberal democracy, the foundation of the modern world. Even before the invasion, many Western leaders had declared that the great battle of the future will be to defend democracy on his trip to Europe in June, 2021, Joe Biden stated that he was going to rally the world's democracies in the face of threats from autocracies, uh, in particular Russia and China, the struggle he wrote is the defining question of our time. Autocracies are aristocracy; is uh, uh, it's when one man is dominating. Um, you know, like in like in China, like in Russia. And-
2: Ruben, here's the problem: is that both of us, you and me, as Roman Catholic Christians that believe in the social kingship of Christ, see that b- we see flaws in both sides, huge flaws, especially in in the in Biden side in this up uh, the woke side. And of course, you know, uh, the, Putin's no saint himself. Uh, so we Catholics are stuck Ruben because we don't necessarily agree with either side in this, in this war. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, we don't. You know, I just read the <sighs> the headlines in the today's paper. It said that, uh, t- over 10,000 people have died in Mariupol in, in the Ukraine, uh, that that city was just devastated, and so uh, these are these are people who who you know just wanted to live their life and you know go on and raise a family and whatnot, and and for them to be destroyed like that is it, it's disheartening. And
2: Reuben, but I'll tell you one thing: you just read it. I don't trust anything that Joe Biden supports. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I mean, and the fact that he said. That we're going to rally the world's democracies. Yeah, you know, you know what the left considers democracies.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that. Yeah.
2: yeah, woke ideology. Yeah, Cr- Christians, shut your mouth. Yeah, Th- that—that's what they consider democracies. So we got bad players on both sides.
1: Yeah, yeah. You see these people saying, "Oh, we're trying to restore democracy."
2: Yeah, it,
1: it, it's coming <laughs> from people like uh, Trudeau and Biden. <laughs> you know, Kamala Harris they they just want to rule with an iron fist you know and, and, <laughs> that's democracy for them ruben yeah. you disagree with them and and you know they cast you out and they cancel you sanctions on you fr- freeze
2: your bank account haul you into court like uh, you know you 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 caught you caught us killing babies in new york haul you into court like they do to david delite in new york mm-hmm. and who knows probably in the future even in uh well what's happened to the 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 one, the, the January, what's it called? The June 6 people or January 6 oh, yeah, people. Ju- Most of them are still locked up, Ruben.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, then they, <laughs> and then they had this other, uh, during the, um, the run to towards the presidency, they had they, they, a fake um, attempt on the, the Michigan governor's life. You know, <laughs> it, it four, I think four of them were, had mistrials, the two of them were acquitted. Was, they
2: concocted the whole thing yeah. to make conservatives look bad. Wow. It's, to make uh, Trump to make Trump's side look bad.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't even believe. Uh, like you said, I can't believe anything coming out of their mouths. And yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> let, let, let me get to a couple of paragraphs. Here. I'm going to go. I'm going to pass a couple of paragraphs to get ta- down to the meat of it. Here's one. It says, um, "Trudeau is correct to say that democracy is faltery, but not for the consensus reasons he meant. In the past, leftists in the West." generally sympathize with the soviet union while rightists opposed it today many people in europe and america on both the left and right support putin and are disillusioned with liberal democracy that's what we just said Mm -hmm. the left sees voting as an obstacle to imposing a progressive woke agenda on america yeah they are undermining or destroying the nation's institutions that stand in the way yeah that's what they call democracy whether by packing the courts that's democracy. Adding new states or making voter fraud easier. Yep, that's democracy. Look at this other paragraph. On the right, many are disillusioned with representative democracy and see it as a major factor in the widespread social dysfunction of our times. In the name of democracy, yeah, Biden's democracy, Obama, the West has seen racial hatred in the form of Black Lives Matter, and critical race theory, mm-hmm. monuments torn down, jobs shipped to China, election integrity harmed, borders violated by hordes of illegal immigrants, reputations destroyed by false Me Too accusations, mm-hmm. unborn children murdered, the definition of marriage redefined Yeah, democracy, Ruben. Schools teach children that they can choose one of 52 genders. Brexit and the election of Donald Trump happened in part because voters rejected the Suicidal Trajectory of Liberal Democracy. Go ahead, Ruben.
1: On the other side of the ideological divide is Putinism, a somewhat muddled and electic uh, ideology that mixes Russian nationalism, statism. That's just a, a political system which the state has uh, substantial centralized control How, over, yeah. over social and economic affairs. Dictatorship, nostalgia for communism, Russia, orthodoxy, mysticism, hatred of the West— and other beliefs from strange 19th century movements such as Russian cosm- Cosmicism and, um, and Pan-Slavism. This ideology expounded and promoted by philosophers such as Alexander Dugan is understood by few people even in Russia. Putinism is, has led to a virtual police state in Russia with few real freedoms, a declining economy, and international isolation. It's also very corrupt with cronyism and rampant and ruled by nouveau riche,
2: oligarchy rich rich oligarchy so here's this paragraph this is a power it says while they don't necessarily endorse him entirely uh-huh. many writers in the west sympathize with putin or see him as an ally in the fight against what they consider the real enemy woke western liberalism i fall in that camp right here this is define me honest <laughs> fox news show on february 22nd tucker carlson expressed this sentiment when he asked a rhetorical question quote why do i hate putin so much Has Putin ever called me a racist? Has he threatened to get me fired for disagreeing with him? Former President Donald Trump called Putin's invasion savvy and genius. Steve Bannon said Putin ain't woke, he's anti-woke. Many other politicians and activists on the right continue to praise Putin's Russia, including Candace Owens, J.D. Vance, Mike Pompeo, who called Putin a very talented statesman with lots of gifts. In Europe, nearly all the right-wing populist party leaders, such as Marine Le Pen, Eric Zemmour, and Matteo Salvini, support Putin.
1: Support for Putin also comes from the left. Former German Chancellor Gerhard Schroeder, former Scottish First Minister Alex Salman, and British uh, MP Jeremy Corbyn are all socialists, are some of Putin's biggest supporters. The first two work directly for the Kremlin. while Corbyn is one of Putin's most reliable defenders in the UK. Parliament, far-left populist political parties all over Europe are some of Putin's biggest fans, including the left party of Germany, the former East German Communist Party. Pademos of Spain... Syriza of Greece and Francis La France in Soumise.
2: Ruben, skip the next paragraph and go to the next one. It's meaty. Okay. Take, yeah, we're this standoff. This standoff between Putinism and liberalism is a false dilemma. The West should not have to choose between two false solutions. Neither one can resolve the crisis affecting, afflicting the Western world. On the contrary, both ideologies are at war with it. A central point of Putinism is hatred for the liberal West. In his speeches, Putin often attacks the West for its acceptance of sexual perversions such as homosexual marriage and gender ideology. While condemnation of homosexuality is not incorrect, his sincerity in opposing immorality is doubtful. The fact shows that, that Russia is one of the most morally corrupt countries in the world with the world's highest abortion rate, the highest HIV, AIDS prevalence rate, and suicide rate in Europe. One of the, well, the, and the reason is so because it's the largest country out there. One of the world's, world's uh, worst drug problems and a religious participation rate significantly lower than Western countries. Putin's hate for the West comes from his nationalist ideology that sees Western civilization as a mortal enemy of Russia. Hell-bent on its destruction, in Putin's view, the West, and especially America, is synonymous with liberalism, which he sees... As a source of the world's problems. Go to the next word where it says, well, Putinism, go, go to that one.
1: Well, Putinism waging war on Western civilization from without uh, liberalism is destroying it from within. In the United States, woke liberals are waging a culture war to destroy the remnants of order and tradition, whether by toppling statues of historical figures or inciting racial hatred with the Marxist BLM movement. For decades, liberals have undermined the natural family with sexual revolution, first with so-called same-sex marriage, more recently with anti-natural transgender ideology. Big tech liberals who claim to defend free expression have censored speech that contradicts the liberal orthodoxy. Religion, especially the traditional teachings of Catholicism, is banned from the public square in the name of freedom. The choice presented to the general public between Putinism and liberalism is a false dilemma. Both are at war with Western civilization." the flower of the Catholic Church and whose remnants are the last bulwark against the chaos engulfing the world, Western civilization can only be saved and indeed restored by returning to the traditional social and moral teachings of the Church. Amen. As St. Pope St. Pius X wrote in his 1910 encyclical Notre-Cirche Apostolic, Apostolic, we must repeat with the utmost energy in the times of social and intellectual anarchy whenever everyone takes it upon himself to teach as a teacher and lawmaker. The city cannot be built. Otherwise, that then as God has built it. So you guys the, can go to the, the article.
2: A, yeah, the answer is the social kingship and reign of Jesus Christ. He must become the king of every heart and every nation. That's the answer. It's not liberalism and it's not Putinism. That's a wrap. Up next, Gary Machuda, Hands On Apologetics. Yep. Thanks for listening to Jesus 911. Ruben and Jesse, uh, coming to you next, Gary. And we are EOW, end of watch. Here, keep the faith.